And now we'll look at the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter number 8, Text number 31. This is from the prayers of Queen Kunti. Kupyada de Toy Kritagasi Damatavad Yate the Shashru Kali Lunjana Sum Brahmaksham Bakram the Nieb of a Bab and a Yustatusya Saman Vimohati Vimohayati Bhir Apiyad Pepeti. My dear Krishna, Yashoda took up a rope to bind you when you committed an offense and your perturbed eyes overflooded with tears, which washed the mascara from your eyes. And you were afraid, although fear personified, and you were afraid, though fear personified is afraid of you, this sight is bewildering to me. Purport. Here's another explanation of the bewilderment. created by the pastimes of the Supreme Lord. The Supreme Lord is the Supreme in all circumstances, as already explained. Here is a simple example of the Lord's being the Supreme, and at the same time a plaything in the presence of his pure devotee. The Lord's pure devotee renders service unto the Lord out of unalloyed love only, and while discharging such devotional service, the pure devotee forgets the position of the Supreme Lord. The Supreme Lord also accepts the loving service of his devotees more relishably when the service is rendered spontaneously out of pure affection without anything of reverential admiration. Generally, the Lord is worshipped by the devotees in a reverential attitude, but the Lord is meticulously pleased when the devotee, out of pure affection and love, considers the Lord to be less important than himself. The Lord's pastimes in the original abode of Goloka Vrindavan are exchanged in that spirit. The friends of Krishna consider him one of them. They do not consider him to be of reverential importance. The parents of a Lord who are all pure devotees consider him a child only. The Lord accepts the chastisements of the parents more cheerfully than the prayers of the Vedic hymns. Similarly, he accepts the reproaches of his fiancées more palatably than the Vedic hymns. When Lord Krishna was present in this material world to manifest his eternal pastimes of the transcendental realm of Goloka Vrindavan as an attraction for the people in general, he displayed a unique picture of subordination before his foster mother, Yashoda. The Lord in his naturally childish, playful activities used to spoil the stocked butter of mother Yashoda by breaking the pots and distributing the contents to his friends and playmates, included the celebrated monkeys of Vrindavan, who took advantage of the Lord's munificence. Mother Yashoda saw this, and out of her pure love, she wanted to make a show of punishment for her transcendental child. She took a rope and threatened. Okay. Okay. She took a rope and threatened the Lord that she would tie him up, as is generally done 
in the ordinary household. Seeing the rope in the hands of Mother Yashoda, the Lord bowed down his head and began to weep just like a child. And tears rolled down his cheeks, washing off the black ointment smeared about his beautiful eyes. This picture of the Lord is adored, adored by Kunti Devi because she is conscious of the Lord's supreme position. He is feared often by fear personified, yet he is afraid of his mother who wanted to punish him just in an ordinary manner. Kunti was conscious of the exalted position of Krishna, whereas Yashoda was not. Therefore, Yashoda's position was more exalted than Kunti's. Mother Yashoda got the Lord as her child and the Lord made her forget altogether that her child was the Lord himself. If Mother Yashoda had been conscious of the exalted position of the Lord, she would certainly have hesitated to punish the Lord, but she was made to forget this situation because the Lord wanted to make a complete gesture of childness, childishness before the affectionate Yashoda. This exchange of love between the mother and the son was performed in a natural way. And Kunti, remembering the scene, was bewildered, and she could do nothing but praise the transcendental maternal love. Indirectly, Mother Yashoda is praised for her unique position of love, for she could control even the all-powerful Lord as her beloved child. The material world is certainly a difficult place as Devahuti laments to her son, Kapiladev, it seems impossible to remove myself from the material world. There is a constant feeling that I am my mind, I am my life situation. And it starts the moment that one comes out of the womb and it persists all the way until the last minute before one leaves this body. In fact, Prabhupada used to tell a story about a man who didn't believe that the lust in the heart of a person would last, even at the time of death. So he said there was this minister, he brought a young girl and this old man was about to die and his eyes immediately went to the girl. And he, he could see that the attraction was there. This is the, in the deep heart of the conditioned soul. There's this condition, hrid uh, rogam. It's the, ro the dread disease of the heart, lust, attraction to the material world. And because of repeatedly being in ignorance, birth after birth, that impression is so strong. The samskar of enjoyment is there, even though there's no ultimate reward except for death. As soon as the baby comes out of the womb, it's immediately attracted to the material world. Not only that, as mentioned in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, when the four Kumaras wanted to know from Brahma, how is it that the living entity can never get freed from this attraction to the material world. Brahma couldn't answer the question. 
because he had just been in contact with rajas. One cannot understand the solution from the position of the modes of material nature. And just at that time, the Lord came in a very interesting form as Hunksa, a swan, and began verbally sparring with the Kumaras, asking them questions. And then when they asked their question, Hamsa said, it's not that the mind, that we ever become free, uh, we can free the mind. It's not that we can free the mind from the material world. Because he said, the sense objects are embedded in the mind. The subtle sense objects of the world are embedded in the mind and the mind is embedded in the world. So there's a, a natural connection. He said, we must disconnect ourselves from our minds and see that I'm not my mind. The mind remains connected to the world. And throughout the ages, there are many philosophers who talk about how to deal with the existential situation of the human being. Some like Charvak Muni say, don't worry about it. Just try to enjoy. Beg, borrow, or steal, but get ghee. He takes it that it doesn't matter how you find happiness in this life, because when you die, it's all finished. That philosophy still is, is uh, people still propound that directly or indirectly today. So what's the difference? You only live once. And then there are philosophers that say uh, desire is the root of all suffering. And therefore you have to reach nirvana, which means something like blowing out a candle. And when the candle goes out, it was there a minute ago, but now it doesn't exist anymore. So there's no more problem. And Prabhupada used to compare this to a, a doctor. It's like, okay, where does it hurt? Oh, I have a headache. All right, we'll just cut your head off. Headache's gone, right? Yeah, but so is my life. And this idea that I'll just stop being a living entity isn't possible either. I mean, Krishna makes that clear in the Bhagavad Gita. Nahi kashit shanamapi jatu karma krit karyate hivashak karma sarva prakriti jargnai. Don't think, Arjuna, that you're going to stop existing. Arjuna was in perplexity because of the situation he was in. And at the end of the Bhagavad Gita, he was in the same situation, but he had changed his philosophy in life and his outlook, everything had changed. So everybody, every living entity <clears throat> is absorbed in some kind of <clears throat> idea about how to find happiness. We can't avoid that. It's the nature of the living entity to try to enjoy happiness. We're part of, part and parcel of the origin of all happiness. So it's our nature. And it's perplexing to not be able to find it anywhere. And therefore it can be very disappointing. And therefore Krishna says in the Gita, 
Vitaraga bhaya kroda manmaya mamupashrita bhavo jnana tapasa putamad bhavamagata. The, there's a way through the process of devotional service, he said, by getting purified by association of, of sadhus, that you can rise above these confusions and misconceptions. The misconception that I should try to enjoy the material world as much as possible. It doesn't work. It's been tried. Musicians sing about it. Poets write about it. They all say the same thing. My my girlfriend and my and my hound dog left me and uh, took away the pickup truck. Here I am, my guitar is broken. <laughs> they sing a sad country song. And everybody's got a sad song to sing in the material world. Um, <clears throat> even those who accumulate wealth, they end up admitting that I wasn't satisfied. And even those who hang in there to the last minute, and make a show of it. It just becomes ludicrous to everybody else. Like, come on, give it up, stop trying. It doesn't look right. Try to enjoy the material world. And then the idea that we're nothing doesn't work also. Krishna said, give up the fear of your sacred individual individualism. Your of being a sacred individual. This he talks about in earlier, Natvevaham Chatunasam, Natvam Nemi Janadipa, Natchaiva Nabhishama, Sarve Vayamata Param. He said, All these living entities, all these kings, they're here on the battlefield as individuals. They were individuals before, and after death, they'll remain individuals as well. Always an individual. So give up the fear of being an individual and also stop being confused how do you do that by sincerely inquiring and listening leaning in to hear exactly what is my position and what's the real purpose of life it's something very specific it's not nothing that's why in the beginning of the bhagavatam we hear the word timahi Dimahi means something very profound, actually, that you're specifically meditating, you're applying your mind to something that's defined. It's not nothing. It doesn't mean to become conscious of nothing. It doesn't mean to uh, be in a, an amorphous state or to merge into something. Dimahi means to use your intelligence and apply it and focus it on that which is real on reality krishna says those who are knowers of the truth understand that there is something that exists and those who are not seers of the truth they're, they're absorbed in that which is constantly changing so the Bhagavad Gita gives us the foundation to understand that we're not nothing, we're something. And what we are is very specific. And the beginning of all knowledge means to come to that specificity in purpose and understand 
just as when Sanatan and Rupa Goswami inquired from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he didn't give him some very difficult to understand answers. He said that, here's what you are. <laughs> you are an eternal servant of Krishna and you're part and parcel eternally of Krishna. And somehow or other, you've been separated from that. And now you just have to turn around with very specific information. He told the story to Sanatan Goswami of the astrologer and the poor man. And the poor man had lost his way in life and was morose until he met the astrologer. And the astrologer told him, you shouldn't be lamenting. You're actually wealthy. Your father left you an inheritance and there's a, there's a map that shows exactly where it is. So now you can be happy. And then he went more into detail about what is your nature? Kesha gra shatabhaga sha sharam sha shadrishatmaka jiva sukshmo sorupo yam sankhitito hichitkana. You're a particle of that eternal, supreme, complete whole and tiny little particle, but it's chitkana, it's conscious, different from the material energy. He told him, there are these material energies, the earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego is, are the separated material energies. That's easy to understand. And above them, there is you, that chit. Kana, the particle of consciousness that's superior to matter, but now you've become <clears throat> absorbed in matter, a binibeshita. So he gives the path of bhakti, which is the solution to this conundrum of trying to enjoy in the material world and then failing miserably. Actually, we don't really enjoy here. We try to avoid suffering as much as possible. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said that also. He told Sanatan, nobody actually enjoys here. He said, actually, the enjoyment here is like the, the dunking board. A king, to punish people, and in the Bush administration also, they used to take a, uh, a board and they'd put somebody on it and then dunk them in the river until they were almost drowned and then they'd pull them out. It's horrible punishment. Pull them out of the water and let them get a breath. And as they're taking a breath, then there's a sense of relief from the horrible situation. And that, Mahaprabhu said, is what we take as happiness in the material world. It's no happiness at all. So <clears throat> the Bhagavad Gita through giving verses from the Bhagavad Gita and the Vishnu Purana. Uh, uh, Mahaprabhu is gradually giving the foundation of, of real knowledge, of understanding. He told, he told Sanatan that actually the Lord has multifarious energies. That <clears throat> you're part of that energy, a part of the Lord's energy. And that 
by coming in contact with a Vaishnava, you can then get the proper conception of life. And he said that the Vaishnava is a Vaija or a doctor. The doctor carries instructions and hymns. Here's your medicine. I'll tell you how to take it. And now you take it. You take the mantras. You take the hymns. And the hymns also include the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita. And anyone who can take this from, and hear from a Vaishnav who has imbibed this knowledge and who has reestablished his or her relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead and therefore is under the control of, of the internal energy. Krishna mentions this in the Gita. He says, Mahatmanas tu mamparta daivim prakriti mashuta that the, the great souls, the Mahatmas, they're under the control of the internal energy, the Surup Shakti. They may be walking in this world, but their activities are not registering on the level of karma at all, because their intention is completely different. This is when one is no longer affected at all, shunyam, from jnana and karma, no longer calculating, oh, what do I get from this? Or trying to figure out, uh, you know, like on the karma kanda level, although the person's following uh, some scriptural rule, uh, thinking, uh, so what do I get from this? <laughs> What's my cut? And in, in Gyan, one's trying to measure everything, measure the absolute truth. Even Brahma, who's the most intelligent person, he studied the Vedas three times, Bhagavatam says. First time he understood it as karma, second time as jnana, third time he understood bhakti. And we can see he's very much, he's very intelligent. That can be a curse to be too intelligent. <laughs> He thought, he thought he could outsmart Krishna. But after he saw Krishna's nature and the nature of Vrindavan and the resonance there, he said, Jnane prayasa murapasya namanta eva jivanti stan mukharitam bhavadiya vartam stane sita shrutikatam tanavan manobir ye prayaso jita jito pyasitaistri lokyam Just give up trying to understand the Supreme Personality of Godhead with your intelligence, completely give it up and surrender yourself to the sound vibration that comes from Goloka Vrindavan, the, the, the Srimad Bhagavatam, the divine revelation coming down through Srila Vyasadeva, which describes the activities in the spiritual world, which is, which is the medicine that Vaidya brings. When you meet a Vaishnava, a Vaishnava doesn't say, Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. It's all peace. Just be peace. All peace, rest. No. The devotees are talking about the, the specifics of the spiritual world and what Krishna is doing there and how his devotees are interacting with him and what their feelings are in the spiritual world. So many times we have events in our life where we're overcome by emotion. We can't help it. We lose a loved one or we're on the verge of losing somebody and we're just overwhelmed. 
where's all that emotion coming from? If you have some somebody who tells you, well, that's nothing. That's just the mixing of the modes of material nature. <laughs> Let me get a different philosopher because that seems real to me. Well, the sentiments are real. They're just misplaced. And in the spiritual world, there's an ocean of emotions that the devotees are constantly overcome by, but it brings great ecstasy. In the material world, the emotions are misplaced because they're in relationship to the dead material body and this material world, which is constantly being destroyed. So again, Krishna is telling us, yes, you're a person, but don't invest yourself here in this world. Don't invest yourself in the relationships of the material world. Paras tasmatu bhavanyo vyakto vyaktat sanatana he assures us there's another place. It's not destroyed. It's, it doesn't deteriorate like this one. It's supreme. Even when everything else disappears, it's there. It's going on constantly. That's my supreme abode, Krishna talks about. Whereas the material world, bhutva bhutva praliyate, constantly being destroyed. The bodies we have constantly being destroyed. <clears throat> so the, the need of the soul in this world to get free from that immediate attraction that happens as soon as one comes out of the womb from the time of birth all the way to the second of death is to, Krishna says, achieve a higher taste. Vishaya vinivartande nirahasa dehina rasab varjam rasopyasya param jishva nivartate. He says, you have to, Krishna says, in order to, to not just be restraining your senses, it won't work. It doesn't work to restrain your senses. We're not after this kind of uh, restraint, but we engage in positive activities through which we come to a higher taste, param jushva nivartate. Then Krishna says, naturally you'll give up the lower taste. By, by hearing about something better, by tasting something that's sweeter, by getting $100, you give up your $5 debts. So this is why Narada Muni made such an, a strong point. He so strongly pointed out, I should say to Vyasadeva, that you have to bring this knowledge of relationship between the soul and Krishna and describe it in detail. You haven't done it yet. You've written all the Vedas, but you didn't do it. So you've cheated people. You gave them false hopes that maybe you could have best of both worlds, hang out in the material world and just do some Vedic processes. And he says, Even if you tell them about Niranjana, just working without fruit of activities, even if you 
describes self-realization. You're not your body. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. He said, Shobate, it doesn't, it's not beautiful enough to attract the soul away from this, of this material world. I can't break that attachment. It has to be something so astoundingly beautiful, compelling, and sweet that I totally forget about the material world. And this is the promise of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, those to take to the process of bhakti, no matter what situation he or she is in now. If you get association with pure devotees and you hear from them, the Bhagavatam, you serve the pure devotees, you have to serve the person Bhagavat and the book Bhagavat. You have to be in the assembly of devotees. This is bhakti. It means sadhu sangha. And you hear the holy names and you hear the pastimes of Krishna in that association. Vikriditam vrajabadu virahamcha vishnu shradhanvito nashunu yad atavarna yedya bhaktimparam bhagavate pratilabhyakam amridrogam ashvapahinot yacharena dira Said very quickly, actually, if you're if you are in a safe environment, shradhanvito, nishrinuyad means that you're you're able to be in an environment where you have safe harbor. You're with where you're with the devotees. There's no mixture of karma and jnana in their kata, because they have complete and total faith in Krishna. Having they're already in the other world. They already, what's the question of faith? They're already seeing it for themselves and they're describing it. And as, as they're describing it, then it becomes real for you. And as you hear about the details of the spiritual world and the relationships in the spiritual world, especially Krishna has these intimate relationships with his devotees. And when you hear about the way that Krish, Krishna is controlled by the love of his devotees, as we heard in the purport, he relishes being chastised by his devotees. Ah, you're not so, you're not so great. Where the gopis, when they're in Man, Krishna comes to, to visit and uh, Radharani's guardians say, they don't want, he doesn't want to see you. Go away. This is Krishna's relishing this so deeply. Who knows about this? This is Rupa Goswami who was writing. It's like, Anarpita charim chirat karuna yavatirna kalau samar payitumana tojwalarasam sabakti shriyam hari purata sundara duti kadamba sandipta that this hasn't been told to the world before. Anarpita. Nobody ever told anybody about this. So how you expect to get out of here? And nobody told me. I just minded my own beeswax, came out of the womb and went on grinning along, you know, all the way through high school. And someone said, hey, come here for a second, little jiva. I got a secret to tell you. This world's a, a big fake. It's a colossal hoax. It's all rigged. 
the whole thing's rigged. Uh, and uh, there's another world. And only until somebody gets that information, that's what Narada was telling Srila Vyasadeva. Viplava. It's like it flips over your life. It's like a boat that gets flipped over. I'm merrily, 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 gently down the stream, however that goes, <laughs> until until you get down the stream of samsara, until somebody flips your boat over. That's what that verse means. And, and that comes from news from the spiritual world, Narda said. You have to tell that. That can flip the living entity out of this illusory idea of the trance in, uh, in material existence, just watching the shadows can't break out of it, has to get superior knowledge and information. So from Bhagavad Gita, Krishna gives a hint to all of us about the fact that there's this complete system through which even though you're born into the material world through yajna, you can purify yourself, purify your senses, purify all your activities. You can transform your environment. Sahadyagna, Prajashishra, Puravacho, Prajapati. And he talks, talks about how everything that's used for the higher purpose, it becomes transcendentalized. He talks about how if a person is engaged in uh, transcendental purpose in life, then even if he kills, he's not killing. And, he, and then he goes to this point about if, a, if somebody becomes situated on the path of devotional service so determinedly that even if it appears they're doing something wrong, if you think they're doing something wrong, then you're the one who's wrong. You're the one who's committing a, a, a sin, <laughs> not that person. Because because they're so lined up with the spiritual world through the devotional service, even if it appears they're, they're making some misstep, uh, don't, don't think it, actually, because it's so powerful, the process of devotional service, very quickly they come to the perfectional stage. So one of the processes of the 64 items of devotional service, one of the items of one of the 64 items of devotional services is Kartik Vrat, which is, there's details given in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu by Srila Rupa Goswami. Jiva Goswami brings out more in his commentary about Kartik Vrat being one of the 64 limbs of Bhakti. Padma Purana talks about Swalpam uh, Seva, that in this Kartik, time when you do even a little bit of service it's amplified and that it's a month when it's the month of Damodar, a time to remember the pastimes of Krishna as a child 
So that's why we sing that song. It's recommended. It's given there in the Padma Purana about uh, Krishna's childhood pastimes, which uh, Kunti Devi is remembering here, how Krishna in his childhood pastimes and being assisted by his internal potency, Leela Shakti, he's playing like a little boy. <laughs> a little boy. If you tell that to people, who is God? They say, who will believe that? Who will understand that? In fact, uh, Raghupati Upadhyaya, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu met this Brahmin scholar, he could recognize, so here's a nice Vaishnava. So he said, tell me something about Krishna. So Raghupati Upadhyaya said, who will believe me when I say the absolute truth? He's crawling in the courtyard of Nanda Maharaj. Other people, they follow the Vedas out of fear of death. They read, study Mahabharata. I just worship Nanda Maharaj because in his courtyard, the absolute truth is crawling around as a little baby. And then when Vyasadeva saw all these pastimes from his trance, he went to Shamyapras, a place where the modes are in equilibrium, good place for meditation, a little different than Silicon Valley or New York or Atlanta. Of course, temples are transcendental, but Shamyapras is a special place. His little cottage there surrounded by berry trees. I always wanted to go there and just take a little time off <laughs> in that cab, in that cottage. He went there under the order of his spiritual master and in devotional trance, he saw all the pastimes of, of, the, of Krishna in the spiritual world and he wrote about it. You'll find it there in the 10th canto, the Srimad Bhagavatam. And then by hearing those pastimes and of course the nine cantos that come before explain how it is that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and what are his unlimited potencies and what are the pitfalls of the material world. It's so convincing, isn't it? Sundar Prabhu, the nine, first nine cantos. I was in Govardhan and we, there was a group of devotees there, one of them the first time to Govardhan listen in Bhagavatam I think we're reading the uh, fifth canto. And, and it's so profound, the experience when devotees sit and listen to Bhagavatam. But I just remember he walked out of the room and he, he said to Keshe Bharti Marsh, what was I thinking? He meant, like, what was I thinking when I came here to the material world <laughs> in the first place? <laughs> and why did I waste the first half of my life or the first quarter of it, what was I thinking? And so when one is able to absorb that in the association of devotees and then hear submissively the pastimes of Krishna with Yashoda, understand the mysteries of his birth and activities in this world, and then the relationships that he has with his devotees then the heart becomes attracted gradually. And with the attraction of the heart for Krishna 
and for Krishna's associates and the way that they're rendering service, then naturally, Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojita Janaya Yashuvairagyam. Say the rest. Thank you. Gyanam Cha Yadahaitukam. That this naturally, uh, one gets knowledge, one gets detachment, and Nashta Prayushu Padrishu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavat Yutama Shloki Bhakti Bhavati Naishtihi. It's not that uh, it's actually the Kapili Dave said it's that your your subtle body it becomes dissolved. <laughs> the, it's so powerful, the hearing and chanting so powerful, it dissolves the gross so, uh, the the Subtle material body by that process, naturally, the attraction to the material world, the lower modes of material nature, tadarajas tamobhava, kama lobareyas stitam they become noticeably diminished. And evam prasana manaso bhagavad bhakti yogata bhagavad tattva vijnana mukta sangha sajayate. One becomes situated in the truth scientifically, understands directly, and becomes joyful. The mind becomes joyful. So the, this uh, practice of kartik vrat, of remembering every day. Krishna in his pastime with Mother Yashoda, where Yashoda chases after him and ties him up and isn't able to tie him up. Then because of her hard work, Krishna agrees to be tied up by Yashoda. And Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says something for us to remember in that the two inches that the rope is too short again and again represent one, uh, inch is our own endeavor to try to please Krishna, to reach Krishna. And the other is Krishna coming to us because he sees that we're making that endeavor. Otherwise, nothing works out in this world. Everything with the best laid plans, everything is two inches too short. Doesn't matter what you do. It, it'll always be short only with Krishna's blessings. And of course, in the culmination of the pastime, we know that the twin Arjun trees, the brothers had received benediction curse from Narada that you'll become twin Arjun trees in the courtyard of Nanda Maharaj, but when Krishna comes, he'll come there and he'll have his darshan. And, and from that, you'll be liberated. And that's a very important point, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, Prabhupada makes very strongly, and that is that and when, a, when you take shelter of a devotee and the devotee tells you, you know, do this, uh, Krishna takes that instruction 
that the devotee said and they said, okay, I have to do it now. Because that's the point that uh, Nalukuvera and Manigriva, they were debauched. But Narada came and chastised them, but the curse he gave them was actually a benediction. And he said, Krishna will come and liberate you. So when Krishna came, then he said, Narada said it, so I have to liberate them. And this is also in the Bhagavatam about in the prayers of the demigods for Lord Krishna in the womb. When they mentioned that when a great devotee performs devotional service, he's doing it for himself to go back to Godhead, but also he leaves the process behind. And if you simply follow that process, as it was given, as it was prescribed, then Krishna blesses it. He'll say, okay, pure devotee said it, pure devotee put it forward. That person's following it, therefore it, it's efficacious. It'll have its effect. That's another important lesson from the pastime. So from, our pra from a very practical point of view, wherever we are now, if we're aligned with the process as best as we can, following the footsteps of the Guru Parampara, who have passed down the instruction of how to perform devotional service. And we're doing that and hearing in the association of devotees and serving. Then the path to uh, Goloka is very clear and infallible. You get moved by that being in the Sangha of devotees. Like somebody was telling me about how they had this yatra in Puri at the Rathyatra. And one of their members got lost, separated. You know, there's a million people there. You get to see what a million people in one place looks like when you go to the Jagannath Rathyatra. It's, a, it's an Olympic sport going through that crowd, actually. Um, but anyway, some innocent devotee had never been there before, and he was with the Yatra group, and they got in the crowd, and he got lost and separated. But if you look out into the crowd at Jagannath Puri, you'll notice that it's not indistinct. Actually, you can, you can identify the, the groups there. Some are really big groups, they're all wear and they're all wearing the same thing, or they have the same flags. And you can see, oh, that's one group within the mass of people. And then that's another group, smaller group over there, group, group, group. Right, Shamarupa? Groups everywhere. So this, devote, this poor devotee got separated from his group, and he got somehow he got pushed into another group. And so then when you're in the crowd, that that's it's that tight, you can't really move. So the group was moving him. So the group was just moving along. He's like, okay, <laughs> wherever you go, I go, because <laughs> I can't do anything else. And the, when we we're able to insert ourselves somewhere, find where you can put yourself in a group of Vaishnavas. If you can deliberately do that, this is one of the most important things to do. And then practically, uh, I don't feel like it's too late. <laughs> 
you're being moved along. It's like, okay, we're all moving this way now. It's like, okay, I guess we are. That's the way it goes. Somehow, by good fortune, if we can wander into the group that's following in the footsteps of the pure devotees, then we'll be moved along despite whatever imperfections or despite any hesitancy, the force of that will, will bring us along. And of course, as I've said many times, one of my favorite sections, Taptenu Kampam Susamik Shimanu in the purport, so what's the minimum requirement to inherit the kingdom of God? You know, it's like, you just have to stay alive, Brahmas. <laughs> Keep your attitude above offensive and just accept whatever's happening as Krishna's mercy. If you can get that much intelligence and follow that, you just stay alive somehow in Krishna consciousness. Don't blow it. Then you'll inherit what to speak if you try? What to speak if you try to, you know, spiritual enterprise, you try to make something out of this, say, okay, what's the worst thing can happen if I try to become a pure devotee, if I actually try to apply myself? The worst thing that can happen in the material world is try to apply yourself as you lose everything. And that's, that's the worst thing that, that's going on <laughs> everywhere. But if you've tried to apply yourself in Krishna consciousness, I mean, Narada's mood is He says, you'll never lose if you try, if you go for it in Krishna consciousness. It's try to follow the pure devotees. Try to do the process. Follow the vrat as best as you can. And uh, and try to make something out of out of your devotional life. Then he said, uh, "What what's the harm if you don't make it? If you go, if you fall short, he said, you still get to keep your forward progress, and uh, everything counts. But it especially counts in Kartik. Padma Purana says, "Swalpam, even if you do a tiny tiny little bit." with a little feeling, especially offering a lamp, with feeling in your heart, oh, oh Krishna, you're so beautiful. Oh, this is so nice. The incense, the lamp, the, the, the time of year offering Krishna is there. And if that feeling comes into your heart, then this is eternal benefit that will, will eventually transfer us back into that realm of the spiritual world. So it's, it's a, it's a portal to the spiritual world, this Kartik Vrat. And even if somebody doesn't know exactly what it is, if they just participate in the sweet ceremony, seek Krishna's form, offer the lamp, sing the song, take a little prasad, then that person will become a great fortunate soul. Kartik Mahatmya tells about the mouse who lived on the altar. A lot of, you notice that sometimes in Vrindavan, a little mouse runs by. It's like, oh, that's where you live. <laughs> and he, he would, every day, he'd come out and check out all the ghee lamps to see if any of them had any ghee left in them. Because sometimes they don't burn all the way down. You all know that when you're doing Arctic. You, you look and it only burned halfway or three quarters of the way. There's, there's a good amount of ghee in there. That's a lot for a little mouse. 
So he was coming out every day eating a little ghee. Then during Kartik, one day he ate some, he was chewing on that ghee, lip, ghee wick, but it still had a little spark on it. But then as he was chewing, it caught fire again and it got hot and he couldn't get it off his tooth. So he started jumping up and down in front of Lord Narayan on the altar. And the Lord saw the little mouse jumping with the lamp and he said, Kartik, he's offering me a lamp. So next life, he became a very exalted Brahmana. And in the next life after that, he went back to Vaikuntha. Padma Prana gives many such stories about the benefit of offering a lamp on the, on the, in the, during the Kartik Vrat. I mean, who does that anyway? People do like to put lights here and there for Halloween. I saw lights, this and that. But, you know, this Vrat, every day of coming in and offering Krishna a lamp is very special and singing the song uh, the, about Krishna's, it's a very uh, intimate song, you know, talking about the Krishna's form and uh, his mother's love for him. And all of these things, they, they churn that emotion within the heart and they bring us back to Godhead. So now let's just see if there's any reflections or questions. I'm going to look on my little grid and see if anybody's writing on that thing. So I have it right here. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Except my humble obeisances, Srila Prabhupada Jai. Jai. Uh, Guru Maharaj, I was reflecting on that point you made that nobody's happy in this material world and that musicians write about it, poets uh, sing about or music, musicians sing about it, poets write about it. I was thinking of that verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, which is only two kinds of people are happy in this world, the foolish and the transcendental. So I was just reflecting on that point. That's true, yeah. Those who are grossly foolish and those who are Paramahamsas, everybody else in between is suffering. But the, the happiness in a fool is lamentable. They, they just think they're happy. But uh, yeah, that... It, it's, it's a topic that comes up in various places in the Nectar Devotion, in the Bhaktivar Samrita Sindhu. Rupa Goswami talks about the, the, the gradations of happiness and starts with material happiness, said it's really no happiness at all. Kutakmuna Shashvara Bhadra Mishvare. said, where is it? It's Abhadra. It's always inauspicious when you try to do material pleasure. And Krishna says it in the Gita so succinctly, he said, the intelligent don't uh, tinker. They don't dabble in material happiness because they know little dabbling and next thing you know, you've got yourself little dookie running around with you. Dookie, little meant to torture you. Uh, he says from the womb, a womb of this material... <laughs> happiness comes the dookie hi dookie how long are you staying for rest of your life <laughs> uh, dookie yeah so he said the buddha the intelligent people they're careful not to mistake material happiness for actual happiness because it's a source of misery 
Then he says Brahman happiness. It's millions of times greater than material happiness. Material happiness, like if you're in the desert and you're thirsty, you're dying of thirst, and then somebody comes and says, I'll give you water. And you, yes, please. And then he brings an eyedropper and says, here's one drop of water. You can't argue. In a court of law, you can't say there was no water. Yes, I gave water. It just was not enough. It's not enough to quench our thirst. And then and Brahman happiness, millions of times better. But compared to Brahman happiness, the happiness of bhakti is uh, millions of times greater. It makes the happiness of Brahman look like the water contained within the hoofprint of a calf compared to the huge ocean. So we need, we actually want oceans of happiness, but we're getting substandard, no happiness at all. And that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? Getting insult to injury. It's like, I was noticed material happiness like that, you know? It's like people go out to have a good time and they drink some poison like alcohol and then they, they get sick, head spins, they do something stupid uh, get arrested or whatever and then they had to pay for it too they go to some fancy place and it cost them a lot of money to pay for it that's called insult to injury so that's the material world this big insult to injury program going on here thanks go Prana. let's see what you got here in this world two types of people are free from all anxiety and merge in great happiness one who is a retarded and childish fool, and one who has approached the Supreme Lord who is beyond the three modes of material nature. Well, there you have it. Anything else from the Zoom room? I see there's lots of stuff here. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna, Gopal Champu. They said my humble base is Are you in New York or Atlanta? I'm back in Atlanta. Back, back in Atlanta. Back in the South, in the, in the New York City of the South. <laughs> so uh i was just um thinking about this principle for this this point of um forgetfulness of krishna now we hear krishna states in the bhagavad-gita so for him comes forgetfulness now we know it's krishna's mercy that he, he allows us to forget him to try to enjoy this material world but at the other on the other side of that when one is trying to um, surrender to Krishna and practice devotional service and wants to remember Krishna, why does Krishna then also make him forget him at that time? Well, Krishna doesn't make us. He, uh, Gajendra says Krishna's always there looking for a sign from us to, so that he can jump in and help us. Mm. And and he, he doesn't even wait for us to pray. He's just hoping for that. You'll see that in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita when Gopu Kumar comes to Vaikuntha, Lord Narayan saying, you know, I've waited for you too long. I, had, I, I couldn't take it anymore. That's why I made a setup so he could come back. And that, that represents Krishna's mood. Tesham satata yuktanam bhajatam priti korvakam. So then if somebody takes to devotional service, then because of past conditioning, it can be um, 
on again, off again. And, and this is Anishta Bhajana Kriya, practicing devotional service, but sometimes I like it and other times I don't. Sometimes I remember and sometimes I forget. And it's just like when you, when you have a disease, it's not over till it's over because you, you have to cure the whole disease. Mahaprabhu said that when Sanatan came and joined him and he had a fancy blanket on and Mahaprabhu kept looking at it. And then Sanatan could understand he didn't like my blanket. So he went down to the ghat and he said to this poor person down there with the old ripped quilt and said, you want to trade? And the guy said, why would you, why would you, uh, what do you call it? Why are you trolling me here? Uh, and he said, <laughs> he said, I'm not trolling you. I just want your blanket for my own reasons. So he said, sure, here you go. Then when he went back with that blanket, that old torn blanket, then Mahaprabhu was unlimitedly happy. And he said, when a doctor deals with a disease, he makes sure that it's all gone. Why would he leave any last vestige? So Krishna sometimes, you know, for his own reasons, there's a way that Krishna deals with his devotees. There's one of the ways, you know, why I'm doing devotional service, why is Krishna taking everything away? It's like, because he knows what's good for you. And sometimes when we're performing devotional service, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, if, if, we're, if we're doing it half-heartedly or offensively, then say so like a merchant, if you work someplace, you got a good job, and then you're, you're late, consistently late, not something you'd do, but it was something that, you know, somebody who's a bad employee, and then the, finally, the employer doesn't like it anymore and says, okay, you're out of a job, son. And it's like, no, no, let me back in. Give me another chance. Forget it. I already gave you two chances. You're out. And then the person goes home and thinks about it for a while and thinks, wow, I really was a punk. You know, I had a good job. I had a good employer treatment and I just didn't do it right. And then he thinks, okay, I'm, I should be grateful actually. Not only that he mm. kicked me out, that I had the job before. And then he goes back and says, listen, I don't want my regular job back. I'm going to work for free. You just let me in and I'll work for free. I don't even, because just out of appreciation, he changes his attitude completely. So sometimes Krishna turns the lights off and says, okay, you're going to take it for granted. You're going to mess around and try to get the best of both worlds. Let me lock you out for a little while and see how you react to that. And you go like, oh my God, I lost the association of devotees. I forgot the Panchatapha Mahamantra or whatever else it is. Other stupidity I went back into. But in the Bhagavatam, there's something that Narada tells Vyasadeva. He said a devotee is he never forget. He never forgets like an ordinary person. He never forgets like an ordinary person. He says, because he was embraced once by Krishna, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says he's haunted then by the ghost of Rasa. Huh. You know, he's out there, the material world's like, yeah, 
somebody comes over to his den and he says, what are those beads over there? It's like, oh yeah, right, I forgot. I used to chant on those. And then, you know, so well, tell me about chanting. It's like, nah, nah, I can't. You know, no, tell me, what do you chant? And it's like, you know, Hare Krishna. It's like, Hare Krishna, I heard of that before. Let's see you do it. You know? <laughs> and then gradually, gradually, Krishna will pull the person back in. And, you know, he does it to increase our desire. But once somebody surrenders to Krishna one time, then Krishna's taking care of him. So Prabhupada said, it's not like an ordinary person who forget who's, uh, who's lost. He gives it, he compares that there's an, an orphan who really has no parents and could end up anywhere. There's no resting place ultimately. And a, and a child with, with uh, wealthy, good parents and somehow he runs away from home some way they're going to find him, bring him back. And his, his separation and, and loss of, of guardianship is totally different from the ordinary person, the ordinary kid. So devotees are like that. Even if somehow or other Krishna allows the person to forget, he brings him back. And then there's more gratitude that, oh, you know, I blew it. Let me now become more sincere and be careful. I was reading today about how anybody can become besmirched. We know that word, right? Besmirched with, with sinful reactions. Uh, Prabhupada mentions how Jamadagni, uh, Jamadagni, the father of Parasharam, he became angry at his wife because she looked lustfully at a Gandharva he he wanted he wanted he wanted the told the kids you you should kill her and they said forget it dad and uh, told Parasharam and and he said okay if I don't do it my father will curse me he's very powerful if I do do it he has the power to bring him back to life and so I'll do it and then ask for, for a boon to bring him back to life which is what he did but the point is Jamadagni great soul he had there was some sinful a connection with the material world and Kartavira Arjun and um, everybody, anybody can get uh, caught up in the material world, no matter how great they are. Even Parusharam Prabhupada said, you know, he killed too many. He didn't have to do that many. Uh, so Prabhupada writes there that therefore everyone should be cautious and sagacious should be cautious and sagacious. You should act like a sage in this world and you should be really careful because you can get caught up. And if you do get caught up and then somehow or other you get separated from Krishna consciousness or you forget, then there's a way in which Krishna will remind you again. And then um, when you come back, you, you'll be able to relish it even more. Is that what you were, that, the, was that in the neighborhood of what you were asking? That answered all, all, all possible okay. questions. Thank you, right. well, That's good. Guru Maharaj, um, when we study about uh, the three uh, realizations of God, the Brahman realization, the Paramatma realization, and the Bhagavan realization, when I was reading that, I had a doubt. We, we tend to consider the Brahman realization as just the, um, uh, you know, just... Uh, lost it. <laughs> We, we just consider it as the effulgence of the Lord, his, his uh, presence in, in without a form. And then we 
the Paramatma as the Lord within the heart, and then we get to Bhagawan where we can have a personal relationship with him. I was thinking that when you said about uh, this feeling of happiness, this bliss that we experience in Brahman is so many times more, um, uh, you know, it's so much more than what we can even think of experiencing in the material world. I've not heard many people speak about the experience of happiness in the Paramatma realization. When you actually are meditating on the form of the Lord, what is the kind of bliss that we're talking about when there is no interaction with the Lord? Well, in the in the relationship with Paramatma really has to do with being the order supplier in the material world. And there's a, a difference in attitude that Krishna says in the Gita, You know, when, when devotees who are performing bhakti in the association of Shuddha bhaktas, they're not, um, they're not seeing Paramatma in their heart. They see Shamasundar, Krishna. Premanjana chudita bhakti vilochanena santaksadaiva hridayeshu vilokayanti. The yogis, they're doing ashtanga by their own power and they're not steeped in bhakti and they don't have the association of pure devotees and therefore they may see paramatma. Uh, and it's a, the relationship with paramatma, as I said, is order supplier. That's what paramatma, he has no consort and he's also here in the material world, just as kind of a, a warden to look over the living entity and also to fulfill the desires. But when one switches over to a, a mood of service, one then sees a different form of the Lord, which isn't Paramatma who's fulfilling my desires since the time immemorial of the Shamasunda form. So the the uh, the bliss is minimal for the bhakti for the for the yogis who see the paramatma feature because their attitude is different the reciprocation is different from coming from um, krishna there's some descriptions there in the second canto of the srimad bhagavatam about the yogis it's not that there's no happiness i mean it's the lord uh, we we want to see the lord in fact <laughs> that's the only place we can feel replenished when in the tattva sandarbha it's mentioned how the uh, when we sleep, the reason we become refreshed is because in that deep sleep, we have some proximity to the super soul, and therefore we get enlivened. So there's an enlivenment that comes there from association with Paramatma. There's my source, and the, you know the source of the universe, the controller of the universe. Uh, supreme soul in this world. And then, you know, there's descriptions there of, of the devotee being enthralled with the vision of the Lord and so forth. But, but the bliss, the ananda comes when one begins to take a service attitude out of Shantaras, which is kind of like the yogis and Paramatma, Shanta, Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti and then into Dasyaras, where there's this feeling of service. I'm sorry I missed everything out on the board here, because uh, looks like we're out of time. Right, Hansapriya? Hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Hare Krishna. We would, we would like you to 
lead us into the Dhamma of the rest to come, since this is our first day. Okay. But you can you can go on. I mean, for next few minutes, or answer your question. Well, there's two more minutes, so um, there's so much on the board. I mean, there's tons on the board, and there, most of them are questions. There are a few reflections. <sighs> Krishna. Okay, one from the board. Um, a question. Tadiya Seva. It is common phenomenon that living entity is looking for happiness in this material world because the nature of this material world is dukkha, unhappiness. Sometimes serious, serious tragedy occurs in the life of living entity. A sense of hopelessness, frustration, and pessimistic attitude can take over the living entity. In spite of good philosophy and good reasoning, that pessimistic attitude can stay in the mind and cause pain in the mind. Please enlighten how this can be removed from the mind. Yeah, that's the plight of the of us here in the material world. I mean, newsflash, and this is a spoiler alert. So, if you don't want one like that, cover your ears. But the whole material world gets create uh, gets destroyed in the end. This is how this whole thing ends up. By the way, <laughs> everybody gets killed. Everyone's died. You know, in the eleventh and the eleventh chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, the universal form that. Krishna is just chomping on everybody as a universal form. You know, they're entering into his mouth and he's like, <laughs> and Prabhupada said, it's like, you know, he's like eating a, a giant eating out of a bowl. Hanumat Prashekh Swami Amaraj and I were studying the Gita together. He sent me a little cartoon of a, a giant <laughs> eating, eating out of a bowl, you know, it's a, but it's people. I mean, it, it it's uh, the material world's a disaster. To again quote our president, it's a disaster. Um, you know, the whole material world's a big disaster. So, you know, what to speak of, yeah, we're going to lose everything. We're going to lose all our relatives. And throughout the Bhagavatam, subtly, not subtly, but very strategically, here and there, it says, here's a little story for you. And at the end, everyone dies and it's all taken away. And, you know, that it eases, that Shukadev eases us through the whole scenario here in the material world. No matter what way you look at it, that's how it ends up. Uh, so coming to reality, you know, we're not trying to, you know, paint just a bleak picture of the material world, but uh, that's what it is. But in another way, it's not. Bill from Mungle Talkworth says, he sees the material world as the abode of bliss. Because why? Because he sees it for service. As soon as you become a bhakta and you realize everything can be used for service, then wherever the devotee goes, he or she sees, okay, I can be, I can engage this. In fact, the story, the Vaikuntha airplane comes, they send a viman, you know, they send a, an Uber for you, take you back. And uh, and the devotee's like, oh, that's all right. I'm really busy right now. I'm doing my seva. I, I you know, it's, that's the mood of the devotees. In fact, two devotees 
were so absorbed in book distribution. Everybody used to come in ISKCON for the Mayapur festival every year. And uh, there were two devotees in Germany, in Switzerland, that were really absorbed in book distribution. And Prabhupada asked where they were, and they said that they didn't want to come, Prabhupada. They wanted to keep distributing books. And Prabhupada appreciated that mood. You just stay on the field and continue serving. So the devotees become so absorbed that uh, they practically, uh, their comings and goings here and there of, of everything, but they're able to stay above that traumatic feeling where, oh yes, I've lost everything. Well, we've already lost everything. Read Bali Maharaj. Bali says, you know, it's like, sure, I'll give it all away. It's gonna go away anyway, might as well give it to you. And read about Didichi. It's like, Didichi, can we have your bones as a, a donation? And he said, of course. Uh, why not? Uh, they're already pretty much, it's, it's, you know, it's already a done deal. They're going to be taken by somebody. Might as well give them to Vishnu. So that's the mood of the devotees. And the trauma can be overcome by association with Vaishnavas. You can process all this because Vaishnavas are compassionate. They know you're hurting. Uh, they've hurt also, and they know how to process it. And if you're with pure devotees who are above the fray, you'll see that there's a steadiness there that will help you overcome these kinds of things. And Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Atmaopam yena sarvatra sarm samam pashiti arjuna sukham va so yogi paramo mataha. The devotees are the best, he says, because they're full of compassion. And they've already been through all this stuff, and they know how it hurts, but they still show you how to process it in Krishna consciousness because that's where they live. They're, they're already transcendental to the, to the trauma of the material world. So the answer again is, you know, go on chanting Hare Krishna and do take shelter of the pure devotees because they can save you from the, the plight of the trauma and the trauma of the material world. Hare Krishna. Gaur Premanande Hari Hari Bo. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.